Welcome, esteemed listener, to the Video Game Hall of Fame. I am your host, Alex. I have with me three Hall of Fame human beings. They are Simon, Steve, and Rob. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Mr. Alex. All right, boss. Ah, boss, I like that. Could call you Alan. Someone does. Not this week. There's a pre precursor there. For those of you here for email shenanigans, there are none this week, so you can just skip this whole episode if you fancy it. And everyone who didn't email us, I suppose we didn't really give them very long. We're recording this episode early because apparently October is the new holiday season of the privileged, that being us of the panel on the Hall of Fame. So we're cramming loads of episodes in before we all bugger off. So the previous poll for games we did a 180 on has not quite finished yet. So at the moment, the winning game is Street Fighter 2 with 37% of the votes just ahead of Persona 5 on 30, Bloodborne on 23 and Planescape Torment on 10. So that could all change. Doesn't seem like it will. But if the if the Yankee Doodles wake up full of piss and vinegar for Bloodborne, then you never you never know. But there's a tentative congratulations begrudged to Steve yet again. Thanks, man. I'll take it anyway, just in case. Um, yeah, I thought it was in with a good shout, obviously, but it felt like a bit of a cheat code because, like I said, I uh, I didn't hate it, but there was nothing that was probably the biggest, closest thing to a 180 I did with anything I hadn't nominated before. So, I wonder how many people, other than you, initially hated Street Fighter 2. Well, I hate it's just, it's just, it. it's going to be a small amount I think there's a little bit of a resentment because everyone loved it so much, and I was just looking at it saying it's the same yeah. as everything else, and then it just sort of it just grew, the apathy grew to, oh, come on, that'd be ridiculous, and then... And then realising I was the fool by just trying to be different. Right, we're none of us perfect. That's very big of you, Steve, to yeah. to just let that out there in the open in front of me. I'm feeling emotional today. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, millions. That's the kind of that's the, the new me now, Simon. From now on, I think I can afford to be humble now that I'm clattering you guys so much in the polls with my little cheat codes here and there. Now that you're miles in the lead, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he's got one tonight. Then I'm quite interested about tonight because, or I say tonight, for us it's the night, but for everyone who's listening, this episode, as you've gleaned from the title of it, we are talking games from dead or dying genres, which is kind of apropos for a spooky season. We're talking about moribund issues, and we may as well start with Steve. What is your fav- What is your nominated game from a dead or dying genre? Or does Simon want to take us through some? Yeah, I will, I'll, yeah, I'll pass off to Simon because he kind of like I was I was a little bit perplexed at first as to what I could go for, and then he laid out some really obvious choices. So, take it away, Mister Pike. Take it away, Pikey. So yeah, it, it was just a, a way to throw up some interesting games, really. So, like we said before, there's no genres are ever going to be dead now that indie gaming and you know people making games in the sanctity of their own bedrooms is a thing um but you can definitely take a look at the the gaming industry as a whole and see genres that have, have fallen out of fashion have, have nearly nearly gone swept by the wayside apart from a few passionate people keeping it alive so we're looking at those genres today did you say that this was once researched for something on triple jump or did i imagine that it was one of the very early early lists I did for Triple Jump. So I kind of had a a head start. 
But yeah, some of the ones I looked at, uh, light gun games, uh, point and click adventures, FMV games like Night Trap, um, the text adventure, like even that is still being kept alive. Um, Vehicular combat you don't really see anymore. WWE crush hour. Yeah, can't get in Twisted Metal, they've all kind of died off. Um, Twisted Metal keeps having rumours of a rebirth, or even a movie, I think. Well, it's got the TV show, right? Oh, it's TV show, is it? Yeah, that's already happened. Oh, is it? Yeah, with some yeah, other Joe in it. Mackey in it, it. Well, that shows the impact that made. Um, <laughs> Peripheral-based rhythm games, Rob. Uh, fast, fast-paced 3D deathmatch shooters, which, I mean, yeah. just recently I completed Warhammer 40k bolt guns. They, obviously, they don't die, but they they get replaced. Um, Toys to Life. and You don't see many extreme sports games anymore. The last... One I can think of, big one that wasn't a re-release, would have been that Ubisoft game, Riders Republic, which did look pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, like snowboarding games and stuff are completely dead. <clears throat> yeah. I suppose and, you could technically have games from certain types of console as well, right? And there's not really any motion-controlled games anymore since the no. Wii finished. Not really touchscreen games, even though the Switch exists, compared to... The touch generations from 3DS. Yeah, the Switch touchscreen is barely used, is it? Yeah. Um, and then you that you could make an argument for beat 'em ups, uh, real time strategy, and even the MMORPG. It's kind of the the MOBA is more uh, fashionable now nowadays. And then you can yeah. get a bit more. Uh, you can get a bit more abstract with it. So one of the ones I brought up in my list ages ago because I thought it was fun was um, helicopter games. So you think back to the 90s or even the 80s, and you couldn't move for helicopter games. Yeah. Um, there were like three in the Meg Drive's launch, like not three, but you know what I mean. Um, and then there was all those strike games, there's Choplifter, there's Silkworm. Um, and nowadays, if you see a helicopter in a game, one, it will be like an on-rails shooting section of an FPS, and two, it will definitely crash. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't respect helicopters anymore. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> um but yeah, I hope that kind of sums it up a bit for the for the listeners. I think that is yeah, that was very detailed. And uh, what I'll do is I'll chuck the um, triple jump video of which Simon speaks in the description of the podcast if you want to check out any more of those to go and look. It won't be his voice, which is unfortunate because apparently everyone listening loves that. So it'll just be his words. Now it'll be the words though of Mr. Stephen Andrews with his game from. Any of those genres, or even maybe another one that he's thought of that, that has not been mentioned? No, I'm not clever enough to think of another genre. I did, um, uh, as soon as I heard Simon's uh, examples, my, I jumped straight to one genre, and there was only one game in that genre. So light gun games were a massive part of um, gaming in the 90s. Um, and there was, for me games that were before this game and games that were after. It was the dreadnought in the middle of the light games. So before when you have things like Leaf Enforcers, I remember being really impressive and quite fun at the time. Um, but it was when it came to Virtua Cop, the first uh, 3D polygonal light gun game, which was fully interactive. So it depended on where you shot them, how the enemies would re- uh, react. Um, it was just cool. It was. It had that. Um, it had a kind of almost a model one aesthetic with light textures. It was model two, but it was because um, the model one couldn't handle 
textures, but it had that very early 3D feel to it. And the music was banging. The sequel's great as well. Um, on improves on it in every way, apart from probably the music. Um, but and of course, things like House of the Dead, um, Time Crisis, etc., all comes off the back of it. Um, but no, it has to be the the Dreadnought, the one that changed it all, Virtual Cop, uh, which actually um, w- was cited as a massive influence on the makers of GoldenEye as well. Um, how they interacted with the with the shots, and you know, it just it just felt like it breathed new life into it at a time when the genre was dying and gave it another good few years. Um, I mean, yes, you'll still find the odd light gun game here and there, but it's not anywhere near like it, it was. Um, so, uh, and in homes as well, especially, uh, of course, that's, um, that's where the peripherals stopped coming home. Uh, look, you could obviously do it. Yeah, it's not really doable. No, anymore. I mean, look, you could do it on the Wii, couldn't you? Um, that was probably the, yeah. that's the last thing that had anything. You can, you can do it on the Switch. Because it has gyro controls. Too. Yeah, I suppose you could do it yeah. on PS4 with PlayStation Move. Okay, well I'll shut up about that then. But yeah, is there no? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's always a pointer. Yeah, it's not the same moving. as having it's the dedicated not... uh, light gun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a clear and easy choice for me. As soon as um, I was, I thought I'd be. I mean, I have gone for other games. Uh, I thought about, but there's nothing which uh, which comes close to that. To me, that was it was the first game I owned on the Saturn as well because. Um, the first round of games, Daytona, Virtua Fighter 1, um, etc., were a bit janky and rushed out. So we're looking for the second wave, Virtua Fighter 2, Sega Rally, and Virtua Cop. And that's when I got my um, yeah. that's when I got my Saturn for Christmas. Uh, but I think Virtua Fighter 2 uh, was delayed to just after Christmas and Sega Rally a little bit more than that. So I just had the one game, and it was Virtua Cop, and it was banging. And I've still got it attached to my TV in my bedroom upstairs now. So uh, tears indeed, bang. Yeah, I quite uh, merrily and heartily nominate Virtual Cop for the Video Game Hall of Fame. Tell you what, before Steve goes into that, what I will do is chuck my nomination in there because it's already been mentioned and it was built on the Virtual Cop engine, and that is the House of the Dead. I'll talk more about that in a minute, but let's talk about light gun games, as you were probably about to do there, Simon. But you've got two to talk about now. I was just going to say, am I right in in saying that you could play Virtual Cop on the Saturn without a gun? I think you could play a lot of light gun games without the gun, though, can't you? You just like move the move the reticule around with the D-pad. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I've got I remember, the three, I think, on the Xbox where it still does something like that. I remember playing it, but I don't ever remember having the gun on the Saturn. The only light gun game I ever had at home was the uh, the Menacer and the games that came with that, which weren't. On the Mega Drive, mm. um, which weren't great, uh, but yeah, like the games were were, uh, were crazy. I, I, I when I was researching light gun games back along, I didn't even know, but there's an arcade Halo light gun game. Is there? Yeah, I mean, there's um, a Luigi's Mansion light gun game, kinda. Is there? Yeah, you just you have like an actual Hoover that you use to shoot and stuff. It's pretty they cool. Had it at the um, arcade club. They did. You You're right. They did. Yeah, they did. And I guess um, by by way of Steve and I nominating light gun games, we've also kind of ticked off several dying genres all in one. Like <laughs> arcade games is another one. Me or Simon could go for a light gun game as well. You could. You may well do. Um, I think both the games that we've just discussed already are fucking awesome. I love House of the Dead. The gore effects... You know, the way that you damage the zombies by sort of chipping away their skin or their eyes come out or their limbs 
come off, you shoot holes through their chest. Um, Virtual Cop, I I really do like, but it's it, it can feel a little slow. I and mean, that's something you could never label at House of the Dead because it does feel really, really fast. The, even the zombies come at you quickly, but you've got like frogs and monkeys and bats and all this other mental stuff. Um, and boss fights as well, which you also don't get in virtual. No, you do, but they're pretty bland. But to be fair, yeah. I don't really ever like most boss fights on in light gun games. I just prefer moving through and shooting. Yeah, they're the the fifty p munching parts, yeah. aren't they? Right. So, yeah, um, I, there were so many that I could have picked other than this as well. Like uh, Time Crisis, I love those games as well. I thought you were going to go for that. Actually, that was going to be my bet. I thought you were going to go for Time Crisis. Yeah, I just there's something more iconic about House of the Dead. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just, I almost went for Time Crisis. Did you? Almost. I had oh, it yeah. on the PS One with the light gun. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, absolutely loved being. It was like having the arcade at home because the gun was so responsive as well. It worked really, really. Well. I know Simon talked about having the menacer, and I had the menacer as well. But um, Time Crisis on the PlayStation. I wish I'd kept. I mean, I wouldn't be able to play because I'm got a CRT, but so good. They both so were um, really the same Christmas. I've got Final Fantasy VII. Wow, what a, what a year that was! Time Crisis on the on the PlayStation and Sa- and the Saturn versions of Virtual Cop were both pretty much arcade perfect. They both and the, the yeah. both guns were fantastic to use. Yeah, and they had. Um, I mean, they had. Dare I say they were almost better than the arcade because, and I haven't done any research into it. I haven't played it in donkey's years, but there was an extra mode that wasn't in the arcade, I'm pretty sure, on the PS1 version of Time Crisis. Yeah, and of course you can, you know, in, yeah. uh, and, uh, continues and whatnot. Yeah, and when I picked Time Crisis, I went out and bought Point Blank as well. Oh, what a game that is. Because obviously it worked with the same gun. Yeah. Hey, I've got the G, the gun con or G con, whatever the Namco yeah, one is. Yeah, but... we bought a second one and me and my brother just sitting, standing, well, I say sitting, standing in front of the 14-inch TV playing uh, Point Blank for hours. This is the problem that I had, though, um, where I hadn't had a CRT for years and years and years, and I've got so many light gun games, and I've got a light gun that I'm so desperate to use. I heard somebody on another podcast describe light gun games as being like a, a proper dad hobby in like 2023, which feels appropriate. And so I found a a CRT, like a Sony Trinitron, on Facebook Marketplace, and it was in South End, but it was free, and it was 32-inch. So I drove an hour to South End, got this massive CRT, which is like on a, it's got a stand underneath it and like loads of glass trays underneath. So it's super heavy. And I got it off and I asked the guy why he didn't want any money for it. And it was basically his dead mum's old TV and he was clearing out her house. So he and I struggled to get the TV into my car, I drove it back to where I live and then Nearly got divorced by asking the wife to help me carry it up the stairs, which was one of the most like horrendously painful experiences ever. She was fuming at how heavy that was after we got it all the way up here. Plugged it in, stuck all the stuff in there, got the gun ready to go. Doesn't work. It's 120 hertz, apparently, and therefore that doesn't work with light gun games. It has to be 50 or 60. If it's 120, they don't work. So it's really nice to play like Dreamcast on, but... Um... <laughs> Waste of all that effort and arguing and back pain for Absolute a TV that's nightmare. too good to play light gun games. And, and I, I even went as far as buying a replacement light gun on eBay, thinking it was the gun's fault. Did the exact same thing, so I sent that back. And uh, I'm so devastated. I'm so desperate to play them. 
and just have to be Ghost Squad on the Wii until then, which is another excellent game. Was Time Crisis the first one to have the pedal where you could take cover? I think so. It's the first one I remember having it anyway. But I w- it also reloads, doesn't it? Because sometimes you have to shoot away from the screen, but Time Crisis, you either stand on or release the pedal to go under, go behind cover and reload and then let go again, don't you? Is that right? Yeah, you stand I don't on remember it reloading. I, on the um, PlayStation, you pressed a button, didn't you? On the side of the gun, I think, did it? You could do, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I had the pedal on the the, the one that came with time. You pressers. could get one with a pedal, but I'm pretty sure you could just get the gun on its own and just press a button. I think that's how yeah, I played it. Probably, yeah, I had the I had the pedal. Yeah, no, no, no one I knew was that posh. Silent Scope's another good one. Anyway, that's me and Steve at the same time. I almost went for Ready Aim Tomatoes on the Menacer. Did you really? No. <laughs> good. It was the best game on the Menacer collection. That I don't know, like there was one like where you had the a, there was like a pizza or something, and you had to chase like beetles off it or something. Oh, the pizza one was good, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to be a, a good Terminator one and a Jurassic Park one. That's made yeah, the Terminator, the Terminator, Terminator Two. Yeah, but it didn't come with it. When I got the Menacer, I always planned on buying it because it looked brilliant, but I never got around to it. So I've never did the never Menacer. Does the Menacer have any functionality with the the first, like the light gun bits in um, Alien Storm? No, I don't think so. And in the arcade, was that the same? So I don't, I don't, I don't okay. believe you could. Hmm. But in the arcade, does that game make you pick up a gun for those bits, or do you just use a cursor? Or am I asking questions nobody knows the answer? I to? I've played it in the arcade, but I'm pretty sure I just played it with a stick. There might be a different version yeah. with with a gun, maybe. I have no idea, but I'm, I'm... I'm So cool if you had to whip it out and then put it back and then carry on with the beat-em-up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was in Blackpool as well, like one of one of the places we went to. Yeah, yeah, it was, but was it not turned on or something? It wasn't working, I remember. Yeah, I don't remember seeing I a gun sworn. is all. Oh, yeah. I see, yeah. Just Googling an alien storm arcade cabinet, and I found some that looked pretty old, and they looked, they looked just kind of like the turtles ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. Who wants to go next? Simon. Right. I don't know. Have you got another light gun game, Rob? Do you want to keep them all together? <laughs> no, I haven't got a light gun game. Okay. I almost went for Time Crisis, but I didn't. I've gone for something that I genuinely think if we spent the next two or three hours guessing what game I'd gone for, you wouldn't get it. <laughs> Let's find out. Guitar Left Hero Left Aerosmith. Field. Oh, well, he just got it straight away. No, only two. <laughs> I, I didn't go for Guitar Hero just because I didn't want to upset Steve. But you'll find out after you've gone through whatever you're going to talk about, Simon. I'm saving me the last. Okay, interesting. Well, the, de- the dead or dying genre I'm talking about is not it's not like in games. Um, it's the point and click adventure, um, which is a genre I think I think it can offer a lot to gaming today um, because especially the kind of cozy, relaxed gaming with a nice uh, narrative focused vibe. Um, which you, you don't seem to find that much nowadays unless it's like an RPG like Nino Cooney that wants 40-odd hours off you. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there are probably a couple of point-and-clear adventures that, you know, the, these these kind of, and I'm doing air, air quotes here, listeners, these professional Hall of Fames that experts select the games for, they there would probably be a couple of point-and-clear adventures in those, like, like something from the Monkey Island series. Uh, we should have a game come out last year, didn't it? Yes, it did. I didn't really like the visual style. It didn't, I, no, I, no. Rather, they went. They kept it pixely. Um, yeah. Day of the Tentacle, which 
had a kind of spiritual successor by the same people called, it was like an FBI murder thing, but it was still really zany. I can't remember what it's called. And like Grim Fandango, which is one of those cult hits that probably comes out when you Google video game cult hits. Um, if anyone's played Grim Fandango. But the one that floats my boat the most, um, and again, I'm probably sending one of my all-time favourites out to die like I did last episode, but here we go. Um, I played it first on the PS1. Um, occasionally I used to borrow a PS1 off a friend because I never owned one. So I'd lend him my Saturn. And like we didn't really like the same sort of games. So all I'd ever play was Wipeout 2048 or whatever it was. The second Wipeout. And his demo disc. And he had a demo um, of this game. He also had a demo of Discworld 2, which is another good point and click adventure. But the one that I... Um, Very obscure though. Those games are so hard to figure out. They're just mental. Yes. But the game I'm selecting doesn't really have that problem. Um, and the one I'm selecting is Broken Sword 2, The Smoking Mirror. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So I know we usually go for the first game, but I feel like 2, it's just a bit more refined and it doesn't have the goat puzzle. So if anyone's played Broken Sword, Shadow of the Templars, they'll know what I mean. Um this like ridiculous goat puzzle that just everyone got paused, uh, got uh, stuck on. But yeah, so it's a globe-trotting mystery adventure with supernatural elements. Uh, the protagonist is a guy called George Stobart. Um, uh, he never uses a weapon, um, so he kind of gets through the game by talking his way out of things and solving puzzles. Um, like his job is like pattern clerk or something. So he's just, he's kind of like a normal guy with this incredible sense of justice and a massive curious streak that kind of gets him in trouble. Um, The actual game itself is beautifully animated. Um, It's got all these great locations you go to, like they're kind of real world, based on the real world locations. So you could be in the streets of Marseille or to the depths of a South American jungle. like I said, the puzzle, puzzles aren't as esoteric as other games in the genre, including like what are seen as the greats. Um, they mostly make sense. And there's one I always remember, which was on the demo, actually, where you have to dunk a guard dog into a river. So you have to like, you, you need to climb this fence. But every time you cl- try and climb the fence, the dog gets you. And then, then you have to kind of lure it over to the other side where there's this platform over a river and you kind of dunk it. In. Luckily, it swims away. It doesn't drown. Um, but then, you know, one minute, well, not one minute, but like later in the game, you'll be solving kind of ancient mechanisms in buried temples type puzzles. And then but earlier on, you're kind of, you know, you're convincing a hotel receptionist to let you into a room so you can search it for clues and stuff. So it's, it's like, it's like a, a really cool globe trotting adventure movie in game form. Um, kind of like, like it reminds me a bit of Tintin in that it's kind of an animated uh, mystery. But I never really got on with Tintin. I think even as a kid, I didn't like that he was a kid. And a racist. <clears throat> well, I, I haven't read it enough to know that, that that is the case. But now I'm glad I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, you should be, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the story was really cool. Um, so it was, uh, he was uncovering a mystery that he got kind of swept up in. Um, along with his on-and-off girlfriend, the French reporter Nico Collard, um, about, and it eventually becomes the revival of Tez Catlapoca, 
who is an actual Mayan deity or Aztec. I can't remember. Like I say, it starts off, you know, you go to London, London Underground, you go to like the docks in Marseille, but by the end of it, you're on top of a pyramid in, in like a jungle. One of the main things I like about it is George's voice actor. Um, it's a guy called Rolf Saxon, um, and he's one of these actors that you probably won't know his name, but you'll, you recognise his face and you don't, you don't really know what from, but it's like, yeah, I've seen him in stuff. Um, he's in a couple of the Mission Impossible movies. He's in Saving Private Ryan. Um, he's in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, but his voice is George Stobart. It's just perfect. Like, I want him to read me bedtime stories every night. Um, even in the later games, because uh, the Broken Sword series, it's it's like still going. They've just announced a new one. But the more recent ones, do they've kind of got a, a, a... Even though they're still good, they've got a kind of low-budget feel compared to the original couple. Um, but he's always come back for it. And I can only imagine this because he really likes doing it because I don't... The game doesn't seem to have the budget to afford, like, someone who's been in Saving Private Ryan. But... Um, it's just a pulpy, cool adventure. Um, I find it comfort gaming. Um, it's got these really atmospheric music, musical things, kind of like the original Tomb Raider. So a lot of the, a lot of it is just quiet or ambient sound with George kind of reacting to what what you're trying to do with the environment, um, but with cool musical bits, um, which really like it's very similar to the original Tomb Raider how they did it. Um, and again, the voice acting is fantastic in it. And um, it's legitimately funny a lot of the time. Um, it's quite feel good, but there are kind of tense moments. Um, and like I say, there are more famous, famously great games from the genre, but this was my opportunity to to bring up Broken Sword 2 because I do I do love it. It's one of my faves. I, ne- I never owned a PS1, but that's where I first played it. But I ended up getting it on the PC. It was really cheap. Um, and you can get it on everything now um, from like they remade it for the DS, which no, they remade the first one for the DS, but they, they re uh, what's named them, you know, modern them up and released them on steam or whatever. Yeah. Remastered. Yeah. You can get them on steam. Yeah. Um, There's a new one coming out as well. They announced it like a couple of months ago, apparently. Yeah. They announced a proper remaster of the first game and a new one called Passable Stone. That's it. Uh, which I am looking forward to because I played basically the third one is weird. It's 3D. It's got like block pushing puzzles. Um, it's still got the charm, but it doesn't have the gameplay. It's kind of a bit slow, but I did, I've still got it. I did finish it. It does say on Wikipedia that was a departure from the gameplay style yeah. of the previous one. So that sounds about right. Yeah, big time. And then there, the fourth one is called The Angel of Death, I believe, which I, I got yeah. on the PC and I never finished it. It seemed to lose the charm a bit. Um, and then the more recent fifth one, was the serpent's curse which i finished yeah. and there was a puzzle in that that was so ridiculous it gives you hints like you can basically buy hints for points and i went through the entire game without getting one hint apart from this one puzzle your way you have to translate a manuscript using this map picture um and i and basically there was five hints and each hint made it easier and then the last hint told you the answer and I used all the hints and I was like, right, I'm just going to tell me, tell me the answer, use the last hint. And it told me the answer and I still didn't understand. <laughs> and I, I had to um, Google it and find like a Reddit thread where someone had like explained it for dummies. And I was like, right, okay. 
Um, wow. It was ridiculous. That's like the, yeah, I, I didn't understand it. It was, but uh, I, that was the only hint I used, but I used that hint. But no, it was really good. They um, kickstarted that one, didn't they? I believe so. It, Number that, five. That went back to one and two style a lot. It's, it did, yeah. Yeah. And this this fifth, this uh, sixth one they've announced does look like this same sort of thing. But um, nothing's touched one and two yet. And two is the best because it doesn't have the goat. <laughs> and anyone who's played the first listening out there, they'll be like, ah, yes, the goat. <laughs> I thought I'd missed something, so... What does the goat do that's so annoying? So if you've played a point-and-click adventure game, the puzzles are generally uh, find things in the environment and combine them or combine them with mm-hmm. other things in the environment that you can't pick up or talk your way through things, talk people into doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you get so far and you, you're breaking into a castle in Scotland, I believe. No, Ireland, sorry. It is Ireland. Um, and there's a goat just tethered and you have to get past it. But whether you walk to the left or to the right, it will charge you and knock George back. And it's like, oh, you can't get past. So you can go to a nearby village and you're like, I must need some kind of food to tempt this goat or something. And it it, it sounds like an easy answer to the puzzle, but it's not because it's not like anything else. Basically, you Basically, you have to make it charge you in one direction and then run all the way to the other side of the screen before it goes back to its starting point. So it kind of chases you a little bit again, and then it walks back, and its leash gets tangled up in a bit of farming equipment. But it's not, like, that sounds like, well, that's obvious. No, that's but not it's... obvious. That must have killed hours <laughs> of people. I mean, considering it, how many people really die did. on Sonic 3 when it gets to the barrels. I mean, that's just... And it's not like... The solution is not like any other solution in the game. There's no other sort of movement-based. So, yeah, it, I mean, it had me for probably a couple of evenings, that goat, Jesus Christ. Um, but there are, Rob, in the first game, there are some pissed-up New- Newcastle fans on a train that uh, George talks into fighting someone who's chasing him, which is quite quite funny. Some Geordies? <laughs> yeah. Tim dropped us a message the other day saying there's um, some Geordies in Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, they just use all the British accents under the sun, don't they? Uh, I know that was off topic, but it was just, it's it's quite nice to hear of uh, us being represented in video games. Yeah, you're, you're famous. That reminded me of something random I heard today about, you know, like the Xenoblade Chronicles games. Loads of people in those games are all... English voiced as well yeah. because originally that was only going to be localized for power regions and not in the states until they asked for that. What was it, Project Rainfall or something? They're really, but, really but weirdly Britishly voiced as well. Yeah, they used some. Yeah, they used some like British voice acting company to to do the first one before they were planned to release it in the states, and that's why all the Xenoblade games since then have all had English accents in. There's a there's a line in Xenoblade Chronicles Three that became a bit of a meme to me and my daughter. Um, there's a big, the big guy character called Lance. He, um, if if you pick up a rare item, quite a, quite a lot of the time he'll say, "Oh, a rare doodah right there," like that. <laughs> um, you said that before, I swear. Have you said that before? Uh, in Dun- do you watch that Dunkey video game? Yes, movie? that's where I saw His it. Yeah, of course, it's in Dunkey, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that was that was quite because you hear it a lot through that game as well. 
but I do yeah. like I do like it as well. It's got its charm. But yeah, Broken Sword two. Interesting. Me. I've never played any of the Broken Sword games. If you've played Point of the Adventures, you yeah. you there's no reason why you wouldn't like them because they're really mm. charming and that I would say they make a bit they make more effort to make the puzzles make sense than the likes of Monkey Island and definitely Discworld, which is ridiculous. Yeah, like, no putting rubber chickens on rope to swing across a valley or whatever. Well, yeah, there was one in um, the Longest Journey where you had to deflate a rubber duck and inflate it to get some keys off a off an electrified subway rail. It's it's one of the most infamous ones. There's nothing like that in Broken Sword apart yeah. from the go. Like I said, those Discworld games were I found those to be almost impossible. Yeah, I, I only so played the demo, so obtuse. but it yeah. was funny. It was funny. It was well written. It was funny. Yeah, it was Eric Idle, wasn't it? It was Eric Idle. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else play? Anyone played Broken Sword? I've dabbled with it, but I've mm. not played it extensively. I mean, some of the other games you've mentioned, like um, Grim Fandango, Dave the Tentacle, which um, was the sequel to Maniac Ma- Mansion. Yeah. And what was really impressive about Dave the Tentacle is that. You can play the entirety of the first game in Day of the Tentacle on what looks like a Commodore 64. And it was, I think it was the first time you could do that. I know that's quite common, well, not commonplace, but it does happen. It does happen. These days, but I I don't think that it happened before that. Like Sam and Max hit the road. Like a lot of the LucasArts games were were, um, my introduction to point and click adventures. Indiana Jones one's supposed to be good as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fate of Atlantis, I think it's called. That's the one. Broken Sword, I have played, like, in, but I've not played extensively. Same with things like Beneath the Steel Sky and and stuff like that. Touched them, not really hadn't, not really got into them enough to remember anything to do with it. I don't remember a goat. If anyone, uh, what well, it was quite late on. If anyone was, uh, if anyone's interest was piqued when I said the Maniac Mansion guys made a new game, I've just looked it up and it's called Thimbleweed Park. Um. And you play like an FBI uh, guy solving a murder, but it is it is still daft comedy, and it is apparently pretty good. And if you if you look up screenshots, it looks like Day of the Tentacle. Is it my turn? I would say it probably is, mate. Mm, okay. Um, when we talked about this genre at the end of the last episode, and we give Simon like a little bit of jokey grief, saying it was a like a crap choice for a a genre, uh, like a, a topic. Um, I thought I'd struggle until Simon started reeling off some of the things that he considers to be dead and, and dying. And as I say, I did think about picking Time Crisis. Um, I thought about talking about Guitar Hero again or, or one of the Rock Band games. And I decided on a game, which is probably going to be the oldest game any of us have nominated since we did pre third gen, and um, when had me worried for a second. Then Fantasy World Dizzy, unbelievably won. It's a game from nineteen ninety, and it's a game that's been mentioned already the night. And it's the Secret of Monkey Island. I was hoping someone yes. would pick that. Gives me a chance to put that music at the end of the uh, episode. Yeah, I mean, it's I played. I played Secret. Of, I know it's just been slagged off a little bit by um, by Simon saying it's no, crap. No, no, that's exactly what you said. Word for I will word. Add, I'm also going to point out Mario Three is in the Hall of Fame. And that's from 1988. But carry on. Okay, yeah, good point. 
Good point. Um, no, I'm only joking. I know Simon didn't say that. But when he was talking about some of the puzzles being a bit obtuse, I mean, I think with Secret of Monkey Island, it's it's all done completely intentionally. And one of the, the, the big things about it is the, the humour. So it's it LucasArts Games, um, and it made Ron Gilbert a, a bit of a, a name in the, the gaming industry. And he obviously had a... He was involved in the third game. Well, the, the third game that he was involved in the game that was released last year, which I think is the fifth Monkey Island game that's been released now. Um, but it came out in 1990, and it's a point-and-click graphic adventure. And it's in, it's the first game that introduces us to the legendary guy, Brush Threepwood. Does anybody know how his name came about? I'll tell you if you I don't. I did, but I forgot. Yeah. It's bugging me. So the um, the... All of the graphics for the game was created in a 1985 DOS program called Deluxe Paint. And the file extensions was Dot Brush. And when they were creating the guy who was going to be the main character and he didn't yet have a name, the file said Guy.Brush. And that kind of stuck. And the surname, there was a competition ran company-wide within LucasArts to come up with what Guy Brush's surname should be. And um, three wood one, and it's a um, it's an PG Wood Woodhouse name from some of his works. There's a some brothers called Galahad and Freddie Threepwood, and that's where the name came from. But it he sounds uh, very, arrives. Sounds sorry? very disc worldy, doesn't it? Threepwood. Yeah, well, it's not, but yeah, it does. It does a little bit. Um, but he arrives on Melly Island, deciding one day that he wants to become a pirate. And he seeks out the island's pirate leaders who set him three trials. He must win a sword duel against Carla, the island's resident swordmaster. He must find a buried treasure and he must steal a valuable idol from the governor's mansion. And in completing those quests, he hears stories about the ghost pirate LeChuck, who apparently died in an expedition to the mysterious Monkey Island um, when he was attempting to win the love of the governor, Elaine Marley. And throughout the adventure, he meets all sorts of characters like Meetook um, and a prisoner called Otis and um, Stan, the used boat salesman, and all of these people who um, have got really distinctive characters, even though there's no voice acting or anything like that, and it's all text read on the screen. And by the time he's completed those tasks, he decides he's going to go and rescue Elaine, who's been captured by the pirate, uh, the, the ghost pirate LeChuck. And he's undead crew, and he has to head over to Monkey Island. And um, it's there's twelve commands that you can choose as you're playing through the game, like um, things that you can do. And then there's um, voice commands. So you've got like a dialogue tree. And some of the puzzle, the puzzles, as Simon suggested, are and all, and Alex as well. The the I'm, I don't know how you'd solve some of them without Google because they are so obscure. And I remember playing this game probably in about 94, 95, when we, we got a really expensive PC at home. And it was across eight floppy disks. And there was four or five of like me, my brother, and a few of my mates trying to get our head around what the hell we were meant to do next. And I think without the internet, I don't remember how we ended up doing it, but we did play through the game and we completed it. But some of the um, some of the stuff that's in there, there's the the music, as Alex has mentioned, is iconic. And one of the things one of the things that was good about the game is that when Ron Gilbert was was creating the 
the concept of the secret of monkey island he looked at games that had came before and he thought that some of the the ways you could die in those games were stupid so he wanted to make this game almost impossible for you to die and the only way you can actually die in the game is guy brushes forever telling people that he can hold his breath for 10 minutes so the only way you can die is as a a puzzle where you end up in some water which is a very, very simple puzzle to solve when compared to the rest of the, the puzzles in the game. But if you spend more than 10 minutes doing it, you'll die. Because that's how long Guybrush can hold his breath for. And nice. There's some really clever little touches. So if you don't solve the, the, the very, very simple puzzle, but if you don't solve it after five or six minutes, you overhear some people passing by above you. And they're talking about a knife that one of them's got that they've used to commit a crime and how they're going to throw it in the water. And that would solve the puzzle for you if you had the knife. But then they decide not to do it and just walk on. So you're still stuck down there in the water. And then you've got all of the, the things that people remember the game for, like the insult sword fights. How appropriate. You, you know? fight like a cow. Yeah, exactly. So like you fight like a dairy farmer. How appropriate you fight a cow. And there's all of the... like it, it's, it's essentially like a memory game or picking the most appropriate answer. Yeah. But then when you, you fight the sword... The, you have to learn them, don't you? Yeah. You do, really. But then when you fight the sword master... The different, the answers yeah. might be the same, but what he'll say will be be different. Um, so yeah, like you've got things like I'm not going to take your insulin sitting down, and then the answers your hemorrhoids are flaring up again, eh? Stuff like that. Yeah. And it was a genuinely funny game. There's there's a bit where there's some cannibals, and to distract them, you say, "Look behind you." There's a three headed monkey, and they turn around and look, and obviously there's nothing there. And then if you try and do it again. They say that they're not going to fall for that, but a three-headed monkey appears behind them and starts eating a banana. And then there's when you, when the cannibals capture you, you can escape. But what you can do is you can keep going back and getting captured again, and they keep changing the lock that's on the door that, that you're being captured in to the point where it's like a if you keep on doing it and doing it and doing it, there's a futuristic lock on the door. Um, and then there'll be a, a dialogue piece where they ask not only how you keep escaping but why you keep getting caught and there's loads of clever little touches like you don't even have to do that when you're playing through the game you know there's um so you've got other stuff like um the in the sword master's forest there's an area with a tree and this was on the 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 game with the version of the game which came on eight floppy disks there's an area with a tree stump and when you check it out Guybrush mentions that there's a hole in it, and if you go through the hole, it leads you to a maze of caverns. And when you try to go into the hole, the game says insert disc, either disc 23, disc 47, or disc 114 as a joke. And then people were ringing up the, the LucasArts helpline saying, Look, I haven't got 23 discs. What's going on? Because they didn't get the joke. So when it was re released on CD ROM a couple of years later, they, they took that joke out because people just didn't get it. So I mean I think it's um it's an iconic game and obviously it spawned the, the the sequel which was dare I say just as good as the first one and nobody ever found out what the secret of Monkey Island was because it was planned to be a trilogy and in the third game Ron Gilbert was going to give away what the secret was but he left the company before the third game was released and the third game was released but he had no involvement in it and he never told anybody the secret before he left well what happened was um and I, I'm not 100% sure on this. You might have to Google it. But um, there was something that's happened fairly recently. It might have been to coincide with the last game where one person 
found out what the secret of Monkey Island was. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look in. I haven't got I haven't got that written down, but um, the, apparently there's only one person who's ever been told what the secret of Monkey Island was. <laughs> they, they tried they tried to uh, um, suggest in I think it was the third game that came out that he had no involvement with that. The secret of Monkey Island was that the giant monkey head is some kind of um, like big robot monkey or something. But Ron Gilbert said that that was never what he had in, envisaged as the secret of Monkey Island. I think the original name of the game was going to be something di- completely different, like the mutiny of Monkey Island or something like that. But um, I, I played it, as I say, I played it back in the day, and I remember trying to recruit Meatook for the crew and just not being able to work out what the hell you are meant to do. And we were just, tr- it was trial and error because we didn't have any way of, of knowing, you know. there was. Yeah. I mean, you could ring a number and pay money to find out, probably, other, other than that, you just had to play the game. You couldn't go online and find out what the answer would be. And, I mean, you can complete this game. Um, there's, it's it's quite a long game for the time. I mean, it it takes you a good three and a half hours, something like that, to complete it if you know what you're doing. But back then, I mean, this game would last you forever. Yeah. Because some the puzzles were so complicated. The um, the remakes of this game were excellent as well, the ones that came out sort of 360 era where they had the new graphic style but you could switch back to the old one and that did have a hint system in it that you could use right. to if you got stuck it would kind of give you a a bit of a nudge so they are they are what you should play if you're going to pick these up today that's for sure yeah the I second mean, one's the one with the spitting contest isn't it where you've got a thick yeah. enough to spit the, sec- yeah. the second one's just as good as the first one yeah it's great in my opinion but um as we do on this other than simon this week we uh we'll go for the first one in the series don't we yeah even if it has got an annoying goat. I it? prefer House of the Dead too, but look what I'm doing. Is um did the second one have full voice acting? Uh don't Don't think so. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean when did the second Again, one Again in the remake it did. The second one came out uh, hang on, Monkey Island two. Uh, lest we all forget that when I wore my Monkey Island shirt in Tesco a few weeks ago I got that guy who knew Peter Molyneux talking to me so connects everybody from all walks of life yeah, I mean Monkey Island 2 came out in 91 there's no way that had no it didn't it. the third one came out in 97 I think without googling it that may have done but even then I, I don't know was that when it kind of went a bit more 3D? Yeah, the, the third one was, and as I say, the third one, Ron Gilbert had no involvement in it. Yeah. I've not played any of the other ones other than the first two. Yeah, the first two are the, it's like Home Alone, there's only really two. Well, until the third one came out last year, but I've not played that yet. The third proper one came out last year. I think they went they went for like a wacky visual style, and I, don't, I didn't like it at all. And yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, and the newer it. ones. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I prefer what the Maniac Mansion people did with Thimbleweed Park where it, it could be it's just using modern technology to make a game that looks like the old one but snazzier yeah but Monkey Island I think it's incredibly worthy of a place in the video game hall of fame and I think it's one of those games that holds up not because it looks great or or plays incredibly well but because of the the characters, the plot, and the humour. So hard to find video games that are genuinely funny. Yeah. So quality writing is timeless in this in this medium, and this is really good quality. There's no yeah, doubt and I mean, that. when they were... Um, I read something saying that when they were working on it... I'll just see if I can get the names. There was uh, two people who were 
you want to write in Tim Schafer and who is the other bloke? Um, Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman. And they were tasked with coming up with the dialogue, but because they had very different senses of humour, Tim Schafer was really dry and um, and Dave Grossman was very kind of to the point and in your face. It, it just wasn't working. So what they were given was they were given characters to write dialogue for, which would in turn lead to their personality and their sense of humour. So I, I, I cool. just think it was, I just think it was a really well-crafted game and it, it didn't, like I, I was looking today to see how it done. I mean, from a review point of view, it did incredibly well, but from a, a sales point of view, it didn't do maybe as well as you would have expected. It sold, um, Ron Gilbert was quoted as saying it sold over 100,000 copies, but way, f- like not not a million miles over that. And back then around 300,000 was what they would aim for with a, a launch of a game like that. Guaranteed that more than that many copies were in the hands of people they just weren't legitimate. Yeah, yeah, the, floppy disk yeah when the game first my, came out, it... Um, when the first game first came out, it had copy protection in the form of a, and you, you you might remember this, if not, there's pictures of it online, a wheel that came with it where it had um, pirate's heads and you would match them up to, uh, like you, you would pick this pirate's head, this pirate's body, and then underneath it would give you a four-digit code. And that was what you had to put in to get around it. But what was happening was people were losing them and then how can you bypass it? They were having to ring up and buy another wheel, which is the same cost as the price of the game. So I think it was just the initial wave of releases that came with that, and then it was the idea was binned off. Yeah, my dad's uh, friend gave him a copy of it on floppy, you know, floppy disk copy for the, I guess for the Amiga, and he photocopied the whole of the wheel for my dad, and my dad oh, did he? like stuck it on cardboard and built one himself. So I had like a cardboard like. Blue Peter style Monkey Island wheel that I used to get past the copyright for the second one. What a hero my dad is. Bootleg pirate wheel. I did that with Turtles on the Spectrum. Well, my dad did anyway. I got I copied copied the cassette version of Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles on the Spectrum. And it came with this grid that you couldn't photocopy because of the paper it was on. You had to write it all out. And I think my dad sat and wrote it all out for me, my brother. Bless him. <laughs> But um, even, I mean, there's there's even like an in-joke at the end of Monkey Island where Guybrush says, at least I've learned something from all of this. And then Elaine says, what's that? And Guybrush says, never never pay more than 20 bucks for a computer game. And nice. Elaine says, a what? And then Guybrush says, I don't know. I have no idea why I said that. <laughs> is it? Is it the, I don't know if it's in the first one. I know it's definitely in the second one where the second one like talks about how long the game took you and what you could have done in the time instead of playing the game and has the most of the end credits for ages is just lists and lists and lists of things you could have done instead. Brilliant. Yeah, just really, gen- really genuine. And, and as you say, I mean, I think when a video game attempts humor, it can often fall flat, but genuine, genuinely funny. So I, 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 I love Monkey Island. It's got a very special place in my heart. That's me. What have we got in terms of um, honorable mentions? I probably should have now thinking about it, but I probably would have gone with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 if somebody took House of the Dead, as as we said earlier on, extreme sports games, skateboarding, whatever. I guess as a byproduct of the sport itself, not really being as popular as it was in the early 2000s is 
basically a dead genre, even the, though the remake of one and two that came out on Xbox one and PS4 was as you know, being as good as it was. They've scrapped any plans of that since um, the license was sold or whatever it is. Activision decided they weren't going to bother anymore. Or was it because if vicarious visions got shut down, I don't know. Activision did some shit. Hopefully if Microsoft do buy them out, they'll, they'll do three and four a remake. I can't think of, I, I mean, I suppose, like I said earlier, there was like, I was going to potentially try and be like really cheeky and be like, uh, there are no motion controlled games anymore or games with motion controlled functionality. So I'm going to pick like Super Mario Galaxy or something. But I thought that's a bit, bit wanky to try and claim that a Mario game is part of a dead or dying genre because it kind of isn't. I mean, I don't, I don't know what exactly you would class Road Rash, whether you'd say it's vehicular combat. Um, Probably. If you would, you know, I, I would love for someone to, you know what they did with F-Zero? Um, what, the, the, what, you want a Road Rash 99? Why the heck not? <laughs> I mean, that would be really fun. It'd yeah. be awesome, yeah. But I, they, they kind of tried to revive Road Rash unofficially a couple of times and it's fallen flat on its ass, but it's because they, they try and make it open world or whatever. Um, just remake it as it was, but it's, I would love that. So yeah, Road Rush, I reckon I could talk that into being a, a nomination. So yeah, that would, that would be my honorary. I was thinking of like futuristic racing as well, maybe being dying and something like F-Zero GX or something like that from the GameCube would potentially be an idea because you know, Nintendo, apart from this weird battle royale that came out of absolutely nowhere, have not touched F-Zero in 20 years or so. So, Yeah, they haven't done a Wipeout in a while, have they? They're, no, exactly. just about to mention Wipeout. There was yeah. a game called Redout, which is that sort of thing, which is fairly recent, I think. Fast Racing Neo as well, I think. It was on like the Wii U at first. That's mm. pretty good, actually. I mean, Simon said MMORPGs are apparently dying out, so would be remiss not to mention World of Warcraft. I'll mention that one day. Yeah. I'll mention it. That's it. Oh, actually, that does remind me. um, uh, After Simon mentioned it at the beginning of the show, I actually went and had a quick look, and the World Video Game Hall of Fame don't have any point-and-click games in there at all. The closest I think they have is something like Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, which is nonsense. Honestly, that that thing is a joke. That was a Mega Drive title, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It's on lots of things, I think. It's like an education game. Where in Time was Carmen Sandiego, I think, was the other one. Um, Yeah. I I mean, on my honourable mentions list, Guitar Hero Rock Band, I'd quite happily talk about Guitar Hero again for another 20 minutes and piss Steve off. (laughs) Um, And then everything else I've written down is stuff that's already been mentioned. A lot of point-and-click games were, were a huge thing for me back then. I mean... I was saying side scroll and beat them up, so the dead and dying genre. Because I of suppose the maybe not. Now the turtles games come out again, and obviously the street uh, Streets of Rage four was really good, and that's a very big like indie genre. But I like, think one of the things Simon said at the end of the last episode, and I might I might have forgotten it because it might have been overshadowed by the Shagas poem, but I'm sure he said that if indie ignore what indie what's happening in the indie scene because if you look yeah, at the indie at the scene then this as well yeah if you look at the indie scene then nothing's dead and dying so i mean i'll say if side so scroll and beat them ups aren't on the table then fair enough it's just 
if there were, I think there's I think it's a bit different because they're thriving, you know, on there. They're such a... But I do take you in. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I to and fro about um, beat-em-ups, but I ultimately decided I didn't want to include that in my diet. They did. I think they did die for a long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you can make the argument that they still are because there's no AAA games, is there? No, no. So I, I would I would have allowed it as the allower of this sort of thing. There's so many good beat-em-up games. That Capcom beat-em-up bundle was excellent that they released a few years ago. I wouldn't even know what to pick. Has that got the Dungeons & Dragons beat-em-ups on it? Um... I don't know, but they are awesome. It's definitely got Knights of the Round on it, which is great. I did see a genre that you mentioned a minute ago that I was going to say something about. Um, not a minute ago, sorry. You mentioned it in our Discord. Uh, oh, no, that was it. FMV games where you said Night Trap. Night Trap is dog shit, right? We're all in agreement about that. Night Trap is a very, very it's bad game. video game. It's unplayable. Yeah, it is, it is unplayable. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You have to know how to do it or you can't do it. Like you would need, I mean, I, I reviewed this for Sega Mania and I, I said you'd need like a notepad and to be meticulous. And I think yeah. I ended on the line of, you know, if you're willing to put this much effort into seeing a few actresses run around in their, their underwear, like you mm. probably have a problem. <laughs> Or a bad internet connection that doesn't allow. Well, I mean, you've you've got a reputation, dare I say, Simon, as being somebody who goes for filthy games. Like last time when we got talking about something, you were talking about how there was some boobs in some game, and you're obsessed with Baldur's Gate three with all the bear sex. <laughs> Fuck's sake! Once again, I turned. I I turned. Do you know what? I've had a I had a really bad back, and I couldn't sit at the computer, so I haven't played Baldur's Gate three in ages. Um, the bears are getting thirsty. They are, but they're going to have to stay. I can't remember what game I was on about. Oh, it was Shantae. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You couldn't wait to tell us about the boobs in that. (laughs) I don't know why you're trying to make make me out to be some kind of... It doesn't matter what I say. The people love you. There's no need to keep trying, Rob. (laughs) To Um, sully my name. I'm pretty sure I once failed Night Trap because I didn't press the start button quickly enough. I think I was trying to listen to what the guy was saying and then it just game over me because he was like, what are you doing? We haven't got time to waste. I, I don't think first, he'd even finished talking. The first time I actually played that was for the review and even looking at guides, it was ridiculous. Oh, I hate it. I really hate it. But it does have a weird charm. You can complete Monkey Island by holding down control and pressing S and W. You just complete the game. What? If you hold, Meet if you what? Like instantly? Yeah. Um, talking about that's uh, the secret, then, isn't it? Yeah, talking about FMV games. Ground Zero Texas was one that I had on the Mega CD <laughs> back in the uh, back in the old. Did days. you review that? Or did was we that a light no, game? No, no, I did. I reviewed it. I reviewed it for Sega Mania. You were? Was that a light game game? No, no, no. That's um, li- no, you're thinking of Lethal Enforcers or something? Oh, like that. okay. No, there is there is um, another one with a similar name that was a uh, yeah, light gun. Yeah, I was going to say that. There is something like that, but no, Ground Zero Texas wasn't a light gun game. It was, um, it was like you're in Texas, obviously, and there's a big alien invasion on, and there's cameras, and you've got to keep moving between the cameras and looking for aliens, and then like knacking. Was them it Mad Dog McCraw? The, um, something like that, I think the name is. That's, that's yeah, there was yeah. That, that's a, I would love to play. That, that was on the very first episode of uh, Games Master. It was. 
Um, but there was a pretty good. I, I think you can call it an FMV game. There's a game called Her Story that came out on like mobile and PC almost ten years ago now. I think that was really interesting and cool to play. It's just like loads of clips of a woman talking to like police investigators, and you had to try and find out like piece the story together. And it was given to you in weird ways, but that doesn't really count as a revival of the the genre. There, I wouldn't have thought. I haven't got any more honourable mentions, I don't think. But um, it's it, it was very interesting to have a think about because I think for a few weeks now we haven't had a a typical topic where it's mm. it, it's all going to be the same genre. We did what games we did 180 degrees on before that it was. Um, that was management sim so yeah, yeah for the last two we've had open to interpretation i guess haven't we for yeah. for ourselves yeah and then the um time before that was something as well wasn't it um, no it was, that was party games so oh, was yeah. yeah yeah so no it was uh it was an interesting other thing it was nice to get go back down the monkey uh, monkey island rabbit hole yeah, and a special mention yeah. to uh, if you want to find out more about Monkey Island, Retro Ahoy is, does the best um, uh, YouTube video on it that I've seen. Really, really excellent. All the stuff is excellent, but the um, secret of uh, Monkey Island is 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 really good. <laughs> Check it out. Be interesting to see what wins this one. Yeah, Halloween House of the Dead. Mike. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've wasted a pick for uh, horror games that we're going to be doing in on next episode for our Halloween special, but I've got many, many backups for that. So excited for that one. That was going to be a good one. And then after that, we're going to do another mop-up episode where we just pick ones that we uh, have already nominated that didn't get in and we want it in without the public getting a chance to vote on them again. So I have... Two, I think, to pick from on that. that Can we pick from anything from the first 20 episodes or is it just from episodes 11 to 20? Mm. Good question. Now you're throwing a spanner in the works. I reckon all, you know. What's he even going to put? Final Fight? Who, me? Yeah. Have I got any games that didn't go in? (laughs) You fucking jerk. (laughs) Cheeky bastard. Uh, Not any that are worth talking about. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> well, you've got like Daytona, Bomberman, the original, Zombie Did I, put, I can't remember what I put in the last mop-up episode, to be honest. Did I put Elite in? I feel like I should have done. I did. Yeah, Good. you did, Good. yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's it. We haven't got anything. Has anybody got any anecdotes to, <laughs> to see out the episode in, in the absence of an email, or should we all just go to bed? Oh, one of us should have written a poem. It doesn't normally take one uh, very long. Shall I write a poem for you, Simon? No. <laughs> it would be fairly easy because two of your favourite things just about rhyme. No. Bare sex and scale electrics. Almost <laughs> rhyme. Where's that come from? What, scale electrics? Yeah, I've never even mentioned it. I've never mentioned bare sex either. You never you? stopped talking about scale electrics? It's scale electric, so it doesn't rhyme. It does just about. It's how you say it. You can make anything rhyme. Apart from purple. Girdle? Uh... Yeah, purple girdle. That's pretty close, actually. I bet Shag I could find something that rhymes with purple. Yeah, the challenge is out there. And on that note, if you do want to send us an email, because the podcast just don't feel the same without them, 
send one over to videogamehof at gmail.com. And of course, what else you should be doing is going over to at VG underscore HOF on X to vote for the game from a dead or dying genre that you want in the Hall of Fame. And of course, once again, your options for that are in alphabetical order, Broken Sword 2, The Smoking Mirror, House of the Dead, comma, The, Secret of Monkey Island, comma, The, or Virtua Cop. They are your choices. All worthy. Quite Does anybody have anything else? Indeed. As I said, next time we're doing horror games because it's Halloween. Does anybody have anything else they want to talk about or add, or shall we all go? Keep it nice. I've got something I've got something that I think we should think about before the next episode, just in case we don't get any emails. You mentioned something last time out, Alex, and I can't remember what game you're talking about, but you said that something had the most incredible open into a game ever. I think it was Mass Effect. Oh yeah. And that, that really um, got Bioshock. me. Bioshock. Bioshock, yeah, Bioshock. And that really got me thinking about what my favourite open into a game is ever. So that's maybe a discussion for another day. Listeners, give us a shout. What's your favourite opening to a game? What's your favourite horror game? There we go. Two things people can get in touch about. Stick it on the twits. Stick it on the eames. What is a horror game? Just anything remotely spooky. Yeah. Anything from inside right up to... Great game. Right up to... uh, Echo the Dolphin. Echo the Dolphin. Do we... I think this might come up. Do we allow demos of games that never existed? <laughs> I will allow that game very much because it is fantastic. I still have mine. You I don't know what you're mine. talking about. I'm not choosing it, but Jesus Christ, that was very, very difficult to play because of how hideously terrifying it was, even when nothing yeah. was happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's everybody? Has everybody got one already? Maybe. I think it's hard. Like, it's another one of these ones where it could be from a whole host of genres. Like, could we go for it? Like, could we go for a game that isn't necessarily a horror game, but like, let's it's say something scary. like Kingdom Hearts, which has got a Nightmare Before Christmas themed, but I'm not going to go for it. Okay. I'm just putting it out there saying, like, what counts? <laughs> like, how we say, play I might it go for it now because loose. just to see that face again, that yeah. face of absolute disgust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've picked my most likely candidate that, that... tonight, Alex. So that's uh oh yeah. Sorry that's about that. Good. I got a three. I got a three and four chance of uh, of getting something I love in tonight. I don't know what your shit's all about, Simon. Just making stuff up, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's got a goat. It's got a goat. Oh no, it hasn't got a goat. Yeah, in it. if he had a goat it's in it, a goat, I'd be, it? it'd be four for four. But why you pick the non-goat? Yeah, Simon. Simon has gone three weeks. Sorry, three episodes in a row of games I have never played. Nobody else has. He, he loves the hipsters, Trace. He loves being yeah. edgy. And then, so when you accuse me in a couple of weeks' time of choosing something that I know will win, I'll remind you of accusing <laughs> me of being an edgy hipster. Um, I will deny any knowledge of it. Well, that's a, that's a bold, bold statement, given that the next one's horror games, mind. Because I've, any, I've anything... Well, I mean, I think we'll all have... I was going to say, I think we'll all have big ones. <laughs> I think we'll all have. I think we'll all be picking huge games, won't we? I've got one potential candidate, which I'd be surprised if any of you have played. The game I'm going to pick is going to win. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. Hmm. We'll see. Easily. Yeah. Right. That's right, enough. Bedtime. 
yeah thanks to everybody for listening thanks to the lads for being here we will see you for horror games at Halloween and until then bye bye